This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of patellar tendonitis from the knee and sports section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Patellar tendonitis is tendinopathy of the patellar tendon associated with activity-related anterior knee pain. Diagnosis is primarily made clinically with tendinous to palpation at the distal pole of the patella in full extension. Treatment is generally non-operative with resting, ice, activity modifications, and physical therapy to focus on hamstring, quadriceps, and core strengthening. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, the incidence of patellar tendonitis is in up to 20% of jumping athletes. As far as demographics, males are more commonly affected than females. As far as risk factors, volleyball is the most common. Patellar tendonitis is more common in adolescents young adults, whereas quadriceps tendinopathy is more common in older adults. Other risk factors for patellar tendonitis is poor quadriceps and hamstring flexibility. Moving on to etiology, the pathophysiology of patellar tendonitis results from the mechanism of repetitive, forceful, eccentric contraction of the extensor mechanism. The histology of patellar tendonitis involves degenerative rather than inflammatory tissue. Micro tears of the tendinous tissue are also commonly seen. Now let's talk about the classification of patellar tendonitis. And the one to know is the Blazina classification system, which is divided into three phases. Phase one corresponds to pain after activity only. Phase two corresponds to pain during and after activity. And phase three corresponds to persistent pain with or without activities, which leads to deterioration of performance. Moving on to presentation, symptoms of patellar tendonitis includes insidious onset of anterior knee pain at the inferior border of the patella. Keep in mind that there is an initial phase and a late phase. The initial phase is characterized by pain following activity, while the late phase is characterized by pain during activity and pain with prolonged flexion, otherwise known as the movie theater sign. Moving on to physical exam, in terms of inspection, patients may have swelling over the tendon. Palpation may reveal tenderness at the inferior border of the patella. Provocative tests include Bassett sign, which involves tenderness to palpation at the distal pole of the patella in full extension, and no tenderness to palpation at the distal pole of the patella in full flexion. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include AP, lateral, and skyline views of the knee. Findings are usually normal, however may show an inferior traction spur, otherwise known as an anthesophyte, in chronic cases. As far as ultrasound, findings include thickening of the tendon and hypoechoic areas. An MRI is indicated in the setting of chronic cases of patellar tendonitis, as well as for surgical planning. Findings include tendon thickening, which is more diagnostic than the presence of edema. Other findings include increased signal intensity on both T1 and T2 images, as well as loss of the posterior border of the fat pad in chronic cases. Treatment of patellar tendonitis can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes ice, rest, activity modification, followed by physical therapy, which is indicated for most cases. As far as the technique, physical therapy should focus on stretching of the quadriceps and hamstrings, as well as an eccentric exercise program. Know that ultrasound treatment may also be helpful, and keep in mind that taping or show pad strap can be used to reduce tension across the patellar tendon. Cortisone injections are contraindicated due to a risk of patellar tendon rupture. Operative options include surgical excision and suture repair as needed. This is indicated for Blazina stage 3 disease, as well as for chronic pain and dysfunction not amenable to conservative treatment, as well as in the setting of partial tears. As far as the technique, surgical excision and suture repair can be done open or arthroscopic. Be sure to resect angiofibroblastic and mucoid degenerative areas, and be sure to follow with bone abrasion at the tendon insertion and suture repair slash anchors as needed. 
Postoperative rehab includes initial immobilization and extension, progressive range of motion and mobilization exercises as tolerated, and patients will be made weight-bearing as tolerated. In terms of outcomes, return to activities are achieved by 80% to 90% of athletes. However, keep in mind that there may be activity-related aching for four to six months after surgery. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. An athlete presents with a six-month history of worsening anterior knee pain. T1 and T2-weighted MR images demonstrate signal hyperintensity and tendon thickening at the proximal aspect of the patellar tendon. All of the following may contribute to the development of this condition except, and the choices are one, male gender, two, older age, three, higher weight, four, quadriceps and hamstring inflexibility, and five, type of sport. The correct answer to this question is two, older age. So patellar tendonitis is most common among younger athletes and is associated with quadriceps and hamstring inflexibility. Male gender, type of sport, and greater height and weight have also been identified as potential risk factors. Patellar tendonitis is an overuse injury that results from overload of the extensor mechanism at the bone tendon junction of the inferior pole of the patella, producing micro-tearing and degeneration over time. It is particularly common in activities that require repetitive acceleration, deceleration, jumping, and deep knee flexion. Conservative management includes activity modification, quadriceps and hamstring stretching, eccentric strengthening, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs, and other modalities like moist heat, ultrasound, and phonophoresis. Surgery should be reserved for patients who fail extensive non-operative treatment. Beam et al. reported a case of chronic patellar tendonitis in a 20-year-old collegiate football player that was successfully managed with surgical debridement after failing conservative treatment for over two years. He ultimately returned to his pre-injury level of play at 40 weeks postoperatively. The authors recommend that surgical intervention should only be considered after unsuccessful attempts of conservative therapy. Constant pain, inflammation, impairment of sport activity, and a visible or palpable enlargement of the tendon are findings which may indicate a beneficial role for surgery. MRI can confirm the clinical findings and define the area and extent of tendon degeneration. Wittrow et al. performed a two-year prospective study of 138 male and female athletes from nine sports to determine intrinsic risk factors for development of patellar tendonitis. The only significant determining factor was quadriceps and hamstring muscle inflexibility. Height, weight, age, limb alignment or Q angle, leg length discrepancy, and quadriceps as well as hamstring strength did not predispose to the development of patellar tendonitis in this study, although the authors note their small numbers may have limited their findings. Zwerver et al. authored a retrospective cohort study of 891 male and female athletes from seven sports to evaluate the prevalence of and risk factors for patellar tendonitis. The overall prevalence was 8.5%, and this was the highest among volleyball players at 14.4%, and lowest among soccer players at 2.5%. Patellar tendonitis was twice as common among male athletes compared to female athletes. Athletes with patellar tendonitis were significantly younger, taller, and heavier than those without patellar tendonitis. Moving on to the next question. A 20-year-old football player with a two-year history of anterior knee pain presents for re-evaluation. Over the last two years, he has been treated conservatively with quadriceps stretching, eccentric strengthening, and activity modification with no improvement. An MRI is obtained, which shows a focal area of abnormally increased signal intensity in the proximal portion of the patellar tendon at the bone tendon insertion. 
He undergoes surgical debridement, which allows him to return to his pre-injury condition. Which of the following predisposing factors are believed to lead to the development of this patient's condition? And the choices are 1. Gender. 2. Increased quadriceps strength. 3. Playing on soft surfaces. 4. Hamstring tightness. And 5. Training with low frequency. The correct answer to this question is 4. Hamstring tightness. So this athlete has a diagnosis of chronic patellar tendonitis. Patellar hypermobility has been shown to predispose athletes to the development of this condition. Patellar tendon debridement is indicated in cases of severe tendinopathy, extensor mechanism disruption, or cases refractory to prolonged conservative treatment measures. Alduri et al. reviewed 18 knees with either primary or secondary patellar tendonitis who required operative treatment. Criteria were developed for subjective, objective, functional, and overall evaluation. At an average of 12 months postoperatively, 89% of the knees were rated as normal or nearly normal using their described surgical technique. Beam et al. described the surgical treatment of chronic patellar tendonitis in a collegiate football player where they debrided the inflamed tissue. They described the predisposing factors for this condition as being quadriceps inflexibility and atrophy, hamstring tightness, patellar hypermobility, playing on hard surfaces, and increased training frequency. The authors state that hamstring inflexibility places excessive stress on the extensor mechanism, which in turn may increase forces in the patellar tendon during contraction. And moving on to the final question, an 18-year-old volleyball player has anterior right knee pain for six weeks. She's able to play through it, but has stiffness and difficulty with stairs after practice. She notes that she has aching pain when sitting with the knee flex for a prolonged period of time. On exam, she has anterior tenderness but no effusion, patellar apprehension, or crepitus. Which of the following treatments would you recommend? And the choices are 1. Low-dose corticosteroid injection. 2. Platelet-rich plasma or PRP injection. 3. Diagnostic arthroscopy with tendon debridement. 4. No sports participation until pain-free. And 5. Rest, activity modification, and quadriceps strengthening. The correct answer to this question is 5. Rest, activity modification, and quadriceps strengthening. So this patient is presenting with patellar tendonitis or jumper's knee. The first-line treatment for patellar tendonitis is rest, activity modification, and quadriceps strengthening. Patellar tendonitis is a common overuse condition that is frequently seen in jumping intensive sports. It presents as anterior knee pain and may show local soft tissue edema but no effusion. Rest, activity modification, and physical therapy focusing on isometric and short arc exercises to address quadriceps weakness is recommended. Taping and or Chopard bracing may also be used to reduce tension across the patellar tendon. Surgical debridement and repair are reserved for chronic pain and dysfunction refractory to conservative treatment. Zwerver et al. investigated the prevalence of jumper's knee in non-elite athletes from different sports and to determine potential risk factors. They reported that the overall prevalence of current jumper's knee was 8.5%, most commonly in male volleyball players. They concluded that different sport-specific loading characteristics of the knee extensor apparatus, a younger age, a taller body stature, and higher body weight seemed to be risk factors associated with patellar tendinopathy. Whitrow et al. investigated the intrinsic risk factors for the development of patellar tendonitis in an athletic population. They reported that the only significant determining risk factor was muscular flexibility with less flexibility in the quadriceps and hamstring muscles. They recommended that the prevention of patellar tendonitis in athletes be focused on screening for and treating poor quadriceps and hamstring muscle flexibility. 
To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer one, low-dose corticosteroid injection is incorrect as corticosteroid injections are contraindicated due to the risk of tendon rupture. Answer two, a PRP injection is incorrect as this is not first-line or a universally accepted treatment modality for patellar tendonitis. Furthermore, irradiation of the tendon would likely result in its weakness. Answer three, diagnostic arthroscopy with tendon debridement is incorrect as this is reserved for chronic pain and dysfunction refractory to conservative measures. And finally, answer four, no sports participation until pain-free is incorrect as complete rest would result in further quadriceps and hamstring muscular weakness and inflexibility, which would be detrimental. That's all for this review about patellar tendonitis. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.